The second part of my conversation with Candace Fowler, principal of Hollis Elementary School in Hollis, New Hampshire, and what she's doing to enhance student performance in reading and math. Stay tuned. I'm Dr. Grant Chandler, CEO of Students Matter, and this is The Wheelhouse. In this season of our podcast, we'll mix interviews and conversations with in-depth thinking around our three foundational components of our framework, accomplishment-driven leadership, superior instruction, and powerful student care. You know, we believe it's our priority as educators to prove to each student how incredibly distinctive and irreplaceable his or her life is. Together, let's continue to step up to this incredibly important challenge and add additional tools and skills right into our wheelhouse. In today's episode of The Wheelhouse, we'll continue my conversation with friend and colleague Candy Fowler, who comes to The Wheelhouse again today from Hollis, New Hampshire. If you missed our last episode, Candy is the principal of Hollis Upper Elementary School in Hollis, New Hampshire. That's a fourth through sixth grade building with approximately 280 students. Candy is currently in her 13th year as principal and her 18th year in the district. Prior to being a principal, she taught preschool, kindergarten, first and second grades. She's been a special education teacher, a special education coordinator, and an assistant principal. I met Candy because she serves other districts as an amazing professional learning consultant for NWEA. I can say amazing because I have been in her sessions multiple times, and she is absolutely that. In her spare time, she enjoys many hobbies from cooking and gardening and rock climbing and photography, and I even saw a picture of her dragon cupcake. So uh, check out her website and check out the picture of the dragon web of the dragon cupcakes because they are amazing. Candy, welcome back to the wheelhouse. Oh, Grant, I'm so happy to be here. And you know, talking about education is one of the things I love to do. And I do like to talk about chocolate cupcakes, just so you know. <laughs> I like being a chocolate artist and I love, you know, spreading happiness. And so when you see something that's cute and you can eat it, how can you not be happy? <laughs> I know, but there's so incredible right? works of art. I would be afraid to eat it because wow, that picture is absolutely <laughs> stunning of what you did. We might have to put that on the blog somewhere, right? The podcast. I think so, yes. I'm going to to snag that picture and put it on the website so that when you check out the wheelhouse, you can see those dragon cupcakes. Yeah. And then you can challenge yourself to learn something new, too, about, you know, being a chocolate artist and doing fun things with that. You know, one of the things that I do love about education is there's lots of places to go. And so my journey... Um, through, you know, regular education and special education and now, you know, leadership, you can't take any of those hats off, right? As a leader, I'm still thinking about myself as a teacher and a special educator. And, you know, I love being able to make decisions through all those lenses. Absolutely. I think, you know, no matter where you are in that journey, I think, you know, I still consider myself a teacher, right? And I haven't been in the classroom in, you know, quite a few years, but I, you know, that lens is an important lens to, uh, to take with us. Well, hey, in our last episode, we talked to Candy about life during the pandemic. And today I want to talk about some great work that she and her team have done, uh, power reading 
and flexible grouping for math. Um, both of those sound really exciting. Uh, so let's start with power reading. Yeah. What is that? Tell us, yeah, tell us about that. I know. That. Well, that was the name that we made up, right? We were going to call it Reading Boot Camp, but we thought that was a little harsh. Um, so, you know, power reading, you know, at its essence is getting the specialists who know how to teach reading the best and have them work with the students who need it the most. So we know sometimes our special ed students need it the most, as well as some of our students who are identified through RTI, um, who might be reading you know, a grade level below or a grade and a half below. Um, and we also know that reading specialists teach reading a little bit differently than classroom teachers, right? They have that specialty, they, they've been trained in different things. And um, you know, it's kind of tricky, you know, when you have fourth, fifth and sixth graders, we're not just learning how to read, right? We're reading to learn. Sure. And so some of our, you know, I'll use our wheelhouse, right, is really about taking readers and helping them dig deeper. And so Absolutely. the kids who need reading instruction need something different than that. Mm -hmm. So we were, you know, sending seventh graders. So we have fourth, fifth and sixth grade. We were sending about 30 to 40. So not quite half of my grade level. But we were spending about 30 to 40 students who were not reading on grade level to seventh grade. And for us, that was unacceptable. Mm -hmm. You know, what we know from education, right, is the older students get, the harder it is for them to take help. They don't want to be different. Right, right. And they're going to be like, I'm not doing that baby book. I'm not reading that, right? Mm -hmm. um, they don't want to be pulled out for reading services. The motivation goes down. Mm -hmm. And I was doing you know, teaching kindergarten and preschool and first grade, they're like, yeah, we'll do anything. We'll come over to the small group. Yeah, we'll leave the room to go to the room. But, you know, in fourth grade, they're like, mm, no, I don't really want to. And if you don't want to, it's really hard to learn. Mm -hmm. um, so we had that problem in this in the seventh grade, you know, school, it's a different district. So we send them off to a different district. They had to have, you know, reading fundamentals for, you know, not just our students, but another uh, district as well. Sure. And um, where it's just like, you know, it's the wrong time. Seventh grade isn't, they still shouldn't be getting fundamentals. So we, um, we got together and it was actually at my house um, over the summer. And I said, everybody bring your lawn chairs, whoever's interested, we need to figure out this reading thing, right? What can we do to make it better for kids to make mm -hmm. them want to come to learn? And so surprisingly, I had all my case managers, all of my reading specialists, many of my teachers, all on this big lawn out back in the middle of the woods here where I live. And I was like, oh my gosh, we're gonna need more drinks. Like I didn't realize we're gonna have so many. And um, like, I didn't bring popsicles this time. And, uh -oh. and so, you know, we had snacks and we had drinks and it was probably like a three hour meeting. And we were just saying, what will we do and what won't we do? And you know, one of the ideas was like, we really need to supplant the reading instruction from the classroom because the reading instruction in the classroom is all about digging deeper with your comprehension and your inferencing. And these kids need more piecemeal. So what if we made the reading specialist a class and we said, okay, at fourth grade reading time, you're going to get all of the students who need you reading specialists. Oh, and case managers. Mm -hmm. Oh, and my speech pathologist, right? Everybody who could teach reading and had a, a, you know, a need to maybe work with some special ed kids as well as the RTI kids. What if you taught reading an hour during the fourth grade block when fourth grade was doing reading 
and fifth grade and sixth grade. So three hours of your day is going to be teaching reading. And we're, we're not going to have any barriers. If you're a special education student or you're an RTI student, you, you need the same kinds of things. And so we're going to rotate through these great stations, right? Visualizing and verbalizing, vocabulary, comprehension, decoding, right? And so that's what we did. We started with groups. We have our map data from NWA. We have our DRA data, all the things that you do in your schools to sure. figure out where kids are. Ames Web, if you use those probes. Um, and we said, okay, here are the kids that we're most worried about. We've got the identified kids and this other group of kids that were really worried, but they're not so much in need for special ed. And we just started and it was kind of weird. I have to tell you because teachers were like, what do you mean you're taking these kids for the whole hour? How will I know? How will I know what they get in reading? And we had to kind of work through, well, you read in social studies and science and math, you have plenty of opportunity to work with reading but we're just going to use the reading teachers for reading for just these few students. And then the, the case managers were like, well, how do I know that reading special is really doing what I need them to do? Hmm. A little bit of trust going on, right? Like absolutely. you have goals in the IEP that say reading and you're used to doing all of it. And now you can have someone help you who oh, is a specialist in that area. So let's trust that they know how to do their job. And, 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 you know, one of the things I said to everyone is, I promise I only hire people who are going to do a good job. So even if you don't know me, I'm, you, you can trust that, you know, the person I've hired is going to do this great job. Otherwise, they, they can't work here. We, we only have one time with students, right? We have to have the best people we possibly can. Absolutely. So we work through some of that. And of course, how you teach reading grant and how I teach reading could differ. So now we're in the same room. You're like, what are you doing? You know, but at the end of that first year, I felt I earned my counselor hat for talking to everyone <laughs> off the ledge, <laughs> right? Um, but what I was noticing is the case managers were learning a little bit about what the reading specialists did. The reading specialists were learning how the case managers worked. We were getting better at our, you know, pedagogy and our strategies. Um, and then the best thing is we saw kids who were getting back on grade level through RTI, through a year of reading with the spe reading specialist. And so we were able to, after the first three years, instead of sending 30 kids to the middle school who couldn't read, we sent two. Wow, that's huge. It was huge, right? We're like, well, maybe it's just an anomaly. Maybe we're not sure, right? So the next year we sent one, right? And so we do have some significant students who no matter what are really traumatic brain injury and, and, and huge learning disabilities that we may not be able to get on to um, grade level in three years, but now this is like year 10 or something now or 11. Um, and we were sending zero kids some years who That's were amazing. not reading that level. Amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing that they came together and we really could figure it out. But I will tell you, you know, it wasn't easy for me as the leader, right? Because lots of people have, you know, different insecurities and we're not sure if it's really working. And, you know, the teachers were like, well, how do I give them a grade? And the reading team was like, well, we're not giving them a grade. We're doing the instruction and we're not the teacher of record. And in New Hampshire, you have to be, you know, in the highly qualified place to right. give a grade. And there's lots of rules around that. So we're like, look, you, you can collaborate on a grade and, 
and see what's happening in science and social studies and, and your DRAs and those types of things. And so we worked out a lot of the kinks in years one and two. And by year three, it was really much better. And, you know, what do you do in parent conferences when that parent says, how are they doing in reading? And you don't teach them reading, but you do teach them some things in how to read in science. So you can't say, I don't know, ask the reading person. That's not our professional you know, purview. We're not ever going to say, I don't know. We're going to say, oh, I talked to the reading teacher in here, but you got to give time for the reading teachers and the regular teachers to talk. So all of those things had to be worked out. So it really relies on our ability to communicate with one another, to collaborate with one another and to calibrate, right? To be able to really use data effectively, both student data and, and our data to say, hey, are we really getting, mm-hmm. are we really getting where we need to go? Right, exactly. And, you know, through all of this, we were just a brand new sort of school. Like I probably started this when I was like in my third year there and, um, we didn't know what we didn't know. We didn't really have PLCs in place. We were just going to a lot of, you know, the PLC summits and different things with the DeFores. And we were talking with Mike Maddows there as well and um, just getting some time and, and going as groups. And so we're figuring it out as we went along. Like we weren't really sure how to act together, even though we had been together for a while, we didn't have formal PLCs or those. So yeah, it was like this like learning by doing right and growing and figuring it out together. And I remember one aha moment about five years into the program and we were like, okay, how do we get kids back in the classroom? Cause once you remediate them to classroom, they need to go back into regular ed classroom instruction, which is different than, a, than the RTI power reading block. Right. There's they're rotating through these centers and they're getting 20 minutes of whatever they need. Um, but now when they come out, they have to use what they're doing to answer questions and they're not used to doing that. So the power reading team got together and they said, OK, how can we mimic some of the classroom activities in our centers so that when they go back, the transition is smoother? Um, and so that was another sort of brainstorm idea that came from some regular ed teachers about they don't know how to answer this comprehension question in writing even though they can verbally do it and they've been very supported by you, I need them to read something and write it down so I can see it. Right. And so they just worked that out. And so then the transitions were smoother and, you know, we were so lucky that um, Mike Maddows took a phone call from us. We're like, look, we need to know how to get the kids back in the class. And he's like, and he just helped us. And and so we just reached out to whoever we could ask um, to help us because we were kind of in uncharted waters. And it came back to exactly what you said. How do you talk to each other? How do you trust that everyone's going to do their job, whether the child's in front of me or not? And then how do you just be really clear about the expectations, that transparency? And you've done similar similar work in math now as well, right? With your grouping? Yeah. And um, so, you know, we kind of tackled that reading piece. And, you know, like other schools in America, I'm sure that the listeners will you know, concur, there's more than just one grade level in our classes, right? Absolutely. <laughs> um, sometimes there's five or six different levels. And as a classroom teacher, you know, and I know, it's hard to meet all the needs. And so sometimes we might meet the needs through a whole group, but we're not quite getting the top and we're not quite getting the bottom. We might get those middle three groups. And that's what was happening in mathematics. And, you know, mathematics is such a hierarchical subject mm-hmm. that if you don't get something, you really can't go on very well, or it's going to hold you back. Um, I, I don't think this comes as a surprise to anyone that kids don't know their fast facts. 
they're not super fluent in their math, you know, um, facts. And so that was always, you know, something that was really driving us crazy. And we couldn't get kids to practice. And so we would do some things every year that, you know, hopefully got them to practice. And, and then we just started thinking about, is there a way to work smarter, not harder? And one of the things that we were doing at the time is learning about our NWA map math data. Mm-hmm. And we have never received data like this before. Like we had our math common assessments, right? We had our state tests and really that just told us what they know at the standard. Right. And we knew even before they took those state tests, okay, these kids are not going to pass the state standards and these kids are going to be fine, but we didn't know how much above fine or how much below they were. And so the map data really helped us start to see, whoa, we have some learners who are really in sort of this red zone, lower percentiles. Mm -hmm. We've got some kids who are soaring beyond what we would ever think to expose them to in a sixth grade school. Um, And we got together as as teacher teams and we said, look, if we could reduce the range of learners in the classroom, um, would that make teaching more effective? And we said, oh, yeah. So when I talk about reducing the range, what if we don't have five different grade levels or six different grade levels or seven? What if we had three? What if we had three grade levels that we could really focus on? And then we sorted these kids by those clumps. Okay. Everyone, we have five teachers. What if we sorted the kids by five teachers instead of homerooms? What if we looked at this continuum of our lowest percentile, our middle percentiles, and our higher percentiles, and we flex grouped students by unit of study? And so if I have five teachers and 100 students, I resort them so that everyone's getting a reduced range of you know, ability. It's not homogeneous by any means. It's not tracking. Um, I still have to differentiate and, and, and do different things with my different groups, but now I don't have seven to worry about. I have three. And, and I those groups don't stay together the whole year either. There's no. continuous, continuous flexing of those groups and continuous reshuffling of Absolutely. those groups, right? Yeah. And we have to look at it by unit, right? So if you're doing a unit on numbers and operations, your kids can stay together because all those things are kind of the same, right? But if you now switch to geometry, I have a different brain for geometry than I do for numbers and operations. So we switch the students, right? And we all made agreements. We are responsible for teaching grade level instruction, those standards, but we might scaffold up or we might, you know, expand whatever. Um, And so, of course, guess what happened? The parents said, you're putting my kids in the dumb class, the slow class. Are you giving my kids advanced learning? I want to be in that advanced learning. Like, so that's not what we were doing. We were just trying to match what a child's brain is ready for with the instruction that we're ready to give. And so if I go too fast in math, anybody happened to you, happened to me, you go too fast and you can't keep up if your brain doesn't work that fast. Right. And if you go, you know, at a regular pace and my brain is whizzing, I'm going to be bored out of my mind. Mm. Right. And I'm not going to learn. So we were trying to fix that problem with our flexible grouping. We had to come up with a really good way to explain it to parents and to our students. Right. Because our students needed to buy in to not having the same homeroom teacher. Um, And we needed them to understand that this was all about their their brain versus whether they were smart or not smart, because they were all smart, right? They were all had ability. It was just how that 
math understanding flowed into their minds and how they were able to make connections with it. Mm-hmm. And, and so we know that some kids need more concrete pedagogies. Some kids needed very analytical kind of strategies. Um, and that didn't work. That, that same thing didn't work for all of the learners. So we would flex group for math. We would make our decisions. We used our data. We used our, our pre and post testing for the units of study. We used our map data. We used, you know, other pieces that we had, just our great observations about how they were. And then we also were talking to parents. Everyone's getting the standards. Everyone's getting it at a, at a pace that is challenging for them. It's equal challenge. It's not the same. And, and so we had to just kind of get our lexicon to not say you're in the fast group, you're in the slow group, right? That's not, that's not what it was. We, we call them differentiation groups. You're in differentiation one, two, three, you move around your teacher's students are, are totally dedicated to helping you learn math in a way that works for your brain. So the first few years, as you can imagine, there was a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. Um, what I promised as the principal and the leader of the building is I said, look, if you're basing your decisions on data and not just pulling a, a kid out of the air to say, I think they go here, I will always back you up when parents say, I want my child at a different pace. We're going to say this, your child will absolutely get to a different pace as soon as they show that they're ready for it. I don't want to leave anyone behind. I don't want your child to have Swiss cheese learning, right? Right. And as soon as it's solid, I'll move them. But here's what it needs to be to be solid. And here's the data that's showing me it's not solid. And as long as we can come to those conversations with a a level of data Mm -hmm. that is clear then we can stand behind our decisions. The minute we just start saying, well, I think they can go here, that's not going to work, right? That's all going to tumble down. So it's really about accelerating learning. It's not remedial in any way. It's about accelerating learning and moving kids to that finish line as quickly and as expeditiously as possible. Yeah. And, And making them love math. Do you hear oftentimes in your work, teachers say, kids don't love math or I'm not good at math? Yeah. Yeah. And that's sad to me, right? Like we would never say, I don't like reading, even if we can't write, it's just not something that's acceptable in our country where in other countries, it's clearly not acceptable to say, I'm not good at math. But here in America, we, we do say, Oh, I'm not good at math. Numbers are tricky. Right. Um, And I don't want any of my learners to walk away from their, you know, fourth, fifth and sixth grade years thinking they're not amazing mathematicians. You know, it's just a matter of how much practice do you have? um, And how are those building blocks? for you? Are they solid? Are they a little crumbly? Are they not quite in place because you didn't solidify that learning? Um, and, and what was really great, like we knew we ha- were making success when we had our very first student say to a teacher, I'll just use my name. Hey, hey Mrs. Fowler, this is not the right pace for me. It's going too fast. Can I go to Mr. You know, Chandler's class? Because I know they're going at a slower pace and we're like, wow. hallelujah. Right. Now talk about that empowered learners. Absolutely. Absolutely. We didn't even think we were making empowered learners. That wasn't the outcome we wanted. Right. I mean, we weren't even thinking about it. Of course we want it, but you you were thinking um, about math, right? I was thinking about math. I was like, how do you teach math? Right. Um, So yeah. And, and when we have students who say that to us, we know that our conversations and our practices of what we're saying to kids is really sinking in. 
when they're starting to think about their own learning and starting to make those judgments, this is not the right pace for me. Not that math isn't right for me. This is not the right pace for me. Can I go here? And yeah, we were like, okay, what do we do? Like, of course we do. We do that. Yes, we're here, right? All those those things. And and now when you talk to kids about it, they say things like this in the surveys. You know, upper the Hollis Upper Elementary School understands me as a math learner. I really feel that teachers get what I can do um, in their own kids speak, right? And sure. then we interviewed some students for a, a video I made. Um, and they were just like talking about, you know, no, it's okay. We don't mind going back and forth. It's really about what your brain needs, Mrs. Fowler. And all those things we as adults were saying, but we hadn't heard the kids saying them until we actually asked some of those questions. And it's just really refreshing knowing that they're going to go through life now. They, they have learned that it's okay not to be the same and think the same as everyone, but that they can put the hard work in and learn just like everyone else. And that when they find the right pace or the right strategy or the right, you know, put you, you know, put fill in the blank, um, it's going to work for them. Right. So that, so I think we're teaching them about perseverance too, which is a skill you need. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, absolutely grit becomes really, really important. Right. And mm-hmm. you're getting them all to the same high level learning. It's just that you're getting them there differently. Right. They're all, some are taking a speedboat, right. Some are taking the bicycle, some are taking a rowboat, but they're all learning that they can learn. And, you know, it, it sounds great. Like talking about, it, I'm like, Oh, that was such a great 10 years, you know, but the first few years, parents were not really understanding. We had teachers who were slipping up and saying, oh, you're in the slow group instead of the slow pay, right? What we just had lots of ways we had to, you know, really organize our thinking around it. But Grant, the grading was the biggest horror show because we didn't know that we weren't grading alike. Right. And so the first time we graded the test in the flex group, you gave full credit for kids who sort of got it right. I took off points and other teachers said half credit. So we would get, well, now we're trying to compare these tests and we're like, oh, uh-oh, you gave five points for that and I only gave three. And so that was another whole conversation. And, you know, you, you don't have a lot of times in school. So it's like that conversation took like three weeks to have because yeah. we had, you know, 40 minute times to have this conversation. And we're like, oh my goodness, you know? And, and so we didn't know what we didn't know. We're like, oh yeah, we all grade. We all have the same practices. We all, you know, thinking we use the same scale, but we just didn't use it the same way. It's, you know, it's, un- it's unbelievable again, how, how very different, you know, when, when we are, we're only in our own classroom, right. And when, when we're not communicating and we're not ca- calibrating and we're not collaborating with our, our colleagues, right. That, you know, it, it can be so varied, Mm-hmm. from teacher to teacher to teacher. And yet we've all, we've got to make sure that the kids get where they need to go. So um, I think what you've highlighted is just two really good examples of the power of what happens when, you know, adults come together and and learn about where kids are, understand deeply how they learn, what, what they know, what they don't know, what they need to move them forward and a commitment to getting them to the finish line, right? Period. And it's the done. Same finish line for everybody else, right? <laughs> right. And you know, right. by contrast, there are a lot of a lot of schools and a lot of classrooms where we don't give this kind of attention to students, and it looks good on the outside, but in reality, kids are falling through the cracks and not getting where they need to go. So, kudos to you and your team for ripping the bandaid off of yeah. that and and really looking deeply inside 
at how we move kids uh, to where they need to go. So it's a lot less lonely. I'll tell you that my teachers say it's a lot less lonely now. We we talk every day, and sometimes we talk even at lunchtime, and we'll talk in the hallway, little snippets, and you know you feel like you're part of a group and. You know, if you don't know, you can go to other people because we're all kind of talking that same language. So I would definitely encourage, you know, others, even if you just start off small, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh my gosh, there's no way I can do this in my building. You know, do you have a buddy partner teacher that you love to teach with? Maybe that buddy partner, you just switch, maybe just your, your low kids and your higher kids and you just maybe switch five kids and you've now reduced the range in that classroom right? For just a little bit. Um, and then you guys can talk because you're friends anyway, right? And you can share those notes and have those explanations and, you know, you get some success with that and maybe you do it a little bit, a little bit more, you know, um, I, I would encourage you to just kind of think about that because it's really hard to be a teacher. It's really hard to take five, six, seven grade levels in your class and teach them all where they need to be. And yeah. I, and I think you can do it. I think you can do it. Just, just start, just try. And it'll be, I think you'll just find the amazingness of it. Absolutely. Thank you, Candy Fowler, for joining us again today in the wheelhouse. It has been a pleasure and wish you a fantastic rest of your school year. Oh, thank you, Grant. I wish you the best as well. And maybe I can come back on sometime and we can chit chat about how it, it all turned out at the end of this COVID pandemic craziness, right? I think, I think that's a date. Mark your all right. calendar. All we'll, right, everyone. We'll see Candy again later on in the wheelhouse. And that wraps up another episode of The Wheelhouse. If you have something you'd like to share or a teaching or leadership problem you'd like to see us address, drop us a line at onlineacademy at ourstudentsmatter.org and we'll add that to our lineup. Together, our goal is to continuously expand our own leadership and instructional expertise and to prove to each student that his or her life is of immense and irreplaceable value. This is hard work, but it is the noblest of all professions. Until next time, remember, we can do this. <laughs>